What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. Thank y'all for joining me. In this episode, I will review the midweek matchup between your LSU Fighting Tigers and the Texas Longhorns. As always, you can find me on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast YouTube channel and on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the content throughout the year. On Twitter, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Thank y'all for all the interaction. I had a great time last night on Twitter as we were watching the game, going back and forth with some people. If you missed a previous episode, I reviewed the Round Rock Classic, which LSU played in over the weekend, going two and one. And as always, that content is linked on my Twitter account and podcast and YouTube versions. So let's get into it. LSU versus Texas, future SEC opponents going head-to-head in a marquee midweek matchup. And I did away with the intro for a little while, but I felt after last night, all I had to do was bring that thing back. You know, Gavin Dugas, reminiscence of a little bit of Warren Morris, not quite high stakes, but uh, uh, a really cool home run for that young man as LSU takes the victory three to nothing down in Austin. So a quick overview of some things that were going on before the game. You know, LSU stayed in Austin after the Round Rock Classic. This is a great midweek game as Jay Johnson decided, well, we're here, might as well play UT and a future SEC rival as they look to join the conference in the next year or two. Then they head home and they have a four-game series coming up this weekend versus Central Connecticut State and Butler. Coming into tonight's game, the Tigers were 6-1. and one. Texas came into the midweek matchup with a 3-4 and four record, losing three games to SEC opponents already at the college baseball showdown. As a team, Tex was hit was hitting a dismal 224 with only five home runs, while LSU, before tonight, was hitting 328 with 10 home runs as a team. The team ARA for the Longhorns was 3.18, and they only allowed opposing hitters to hit 237, so very impressive. But by comparison, LSU's team ERA was 3.98 with an outstanding batting average against of 205. So those pitchers getting it done for the Tigers this year. In terms of fielding, Texas was really below average with a 958 fielding percentage. But once I dug a little deeper, I realized pitchers had kind of committed half of their errors for the Longhorns this year. Preseason, Texas was finished, picked to finish fourth in the Big 12. And they actually went to the College World Series last year, which I forgot about. But that's easy to forget about since they went two and cute. So they barely had time to unpack their bags in Omaha. Coming into 2023, the Longhorns had lost seven starting players from that College World Series team in 2022. And before tonight's matchup versus LSU, they only had three players that were hitting over 300, with Eric Kennedy as a close fourth batting at 296. So how did the Tigers line up for the midweek matchup versus the Longhorns? It was really the same lineup you saw Sunday versus Sam Houston. Leading off was Dugas playing second base. And the two-hole was Cruz in center. The three-hole was Joe Bear in right field. Tommy White was back at DH in the four spot. Morgan was back in left field in the five-hole. With Morgan left, you're going to see Jared Jones play first base. So Jones was batting sixth, playing first. Brady Neal was behind the dish, hitting seventh. Thompson, the mainstay at shortstop, hitting eighth. And then Ben Napolt, the transfer from BCU, holding down the nine spot and third base while Tommy Tanks remains injured. On the mound for the Tigers was UCLA transfer Thatcher Hurd. Now, he was coming off an inconsistent 
midweek matchup versus Southern last week. In that matchup, he really didn't have great command of his fastball. So I was very interested to see how he would bounce back tonight in a hostile environment and a big step up in competition. And he was going up against Texas right-handed pitcher LeBaron Johnson. And man, was he absolutely impressive. Once I finally got to watch the game, I know that was a struggle for a lot of people, including myself, trying to find a way to actually watch the stream. He had three very tough pitches working versus LSU's hitters. He flashed a mid-90s fastball, a slider that he was throwing both middle away, and a front door slider. So a front door slider is he's a right-handed pitcher. If you're facing a right-handed hitter, he will start that slider right at their front hip, so right at their left hip, and then it will break over the inside corner, making it very tough for hitters to do anything with, much less foul it off or even keep it fair if they do decide to turn on that ball. That's very rare. You see that more in Major League Baseball with front door pitches. LeBaron Johnson also featured a split finger pitch as well, and he worked both sides of the plates with all those pitches, keeping LSU hitters off balance throughout his outing. So Johnson's line on the night for Texas, five innings pitched, three hits, two walks, and nine Ks, which I believe was a career high for that young man. LSU did have some chances, but they just weren't able to execute against him. And and hats off to him. A lot of respect to him coming into this game. He had a really nice midweek outing the previous week. And uh, it'll be interesting to see moving forward. I know Texas is missing one of their stud weekend guys, Tanner Witt, coming off Tommy John. So will this performance vault LeBaron Johnson into a midweek rotation? But uh, he did a great job versus LSU hitters tonight. So let's get into it. Let's dig into this game because there's really a lot to go through. In the first inning, we saw Hurd get off to a little bit of a shaky start again with a leadoff walk, then a four-pitch walk. But a great job by Thompson at short on a line drive going to his right, turning and throwing to second base to get the double play as Dugas covers. So really able to bail Hurd out of that first inning. And look, we've talked about leadoff walks a ton on this podcast already. But anytime there's a leadoff walk, they're more likely to score. And then also you need some type of a great defensive play to get you through that inning. And that's exactly what Thompson delivered. And the top of the second, LSU puts together their first threat of the evening versus Johnson. Tigers go K, then a walk, K, then a walk. So men on first and second, then a two out single by Thompson. And Trey Morgan comes around third base and eventually gets thrown out at home. A tough play, but with two outs, the majority of the time, you're going to see the third base coach send that runner to home to make the outfielder make a great throw and subsequently make the catcher catch the ball and then make the tag in time to get the runner out and home. They're going to make those guys make a play with two outs in the inning because obviously you're not guaranteed to get a hit. No, the next A, B. Her has a great bounce back second inning as he goes three up, three down with two Ks. And that's really what you want to see. He had really good stats coming in from UCLA. He's still, I think, finding his way in the LSU rotation and getting comfortable with his stuff. Um, still probably battling through some control issues, but after that little bit of a rocky first inning, he bounces back, gets the Tigers right back in the dugout. LSU does nothing in the second. The top of the third, Hurd runs into a little bit of trouble once again with another leadoff walk on four straight balls, which you hate to see. Then the double play gets turned. Once again, a big defensive play by the Tigers. Then he gives up an 0-2 double. A wild pitch advances the runner to third. Now, this is with two outs. And as an LSU fan, you're a little nervous, right? Texas, they're faithful, getting a little rowdy at their field. Heard then goes 3-0, and and you're like, here it comes. What's going to happen? 
but he makes some quality pitches to get back to 3-2, and then he gets to strike out for the final out. So kudos for that young man after giving up a 0-2 double, which he doesn't want to see happen, I don't want to see happen, and then going 3-0 after the guy's on third base and coming all the way back to strike that guy out. In the top of the fourth, LSU gets it going with a leadoff double from Tommy Tanks, but then absolutely nothing happens after that as Johnson Cades, Morgan Jones, and Neal. So you really hate to see that chance go to waste. If you're an LSU fan, I'm sure if you're an LSU coach, you really thought you had a chance to get at least one run on the board, advance tanks to third somehow with Morgan. Maybe he can pull a ground ball towards the right side. And then Jones or Neal, maybe they can drive, a, hit a ground ball up the middle or some type of a sacrifice fly. So in the fourth, Hurd goes out and has another great inning. So shaky first, great second. Shaky third, a little bit, great fourth. In the fifth, LSU does nothing. But in the bottom of the fifth, Texas comes to the plate. Hurd does a great job getting two quick outs, but then a two-out single chases Hurd. And then you see Nate Ackenhausen, the Juco lefty transfer, come in, and then he strikes out the last hitter for the fifth. So that ends Thatcher Hurd's night. His line on the night is four inning, four and two-thirds innings pitched, three hits, zero runs, three walks, four Ks, and only 70 pitches. So very effective and efficient in that four and two-thirds innings pitched to me so what was I able to see I think he looked better I know it's not where he wants to be but it was definitely better than the southern outing and look once again LSU played great defense behind him which is a huge plus and if you eliminate those two leadoff walks so maybe his line scores four and two-thirds three hits one walk four k's do people have a different feeling about their Thatcher Hurd's outing I still think it was a positive I'm not saying it was bad by any means but I think he's definitely going to get better, and he's maybe still struggling with some things mechanically or just from a command point of view, and that, that happens throughout the year. But the bottom line is, if LSU wants to go to Omaha or get where they, whatever their goals are, where they need to be at the end of the year, Thatcher Hurd is going to play a huge role in the Tigers' success, and I look for him to continue to get better and better and hopefully move into that midweek, excuse me, that weekend rotation before conference play. So from the 5th to the 8th, the story of the game was Nasty Nate. I put out there on Twitter, Nasty Nate, Nate Ackenhausen. Bottom line, he was a dude last night. And the Juco transfer left-handed pitcher really showed the Tiger faithful how good he can be. Flashing a low to mid-90s fastball to go along with that devastating low 80s slider, which was effective versus left-handed and right-handed hitters. To me, he was the co-MVP of the game to go along with Gavin Dugas. I know that may sound like blasphemy to some of y'all, but he absolutely quieted the Texas bats. Not that they were really threatening, but shut that, that crowd down. Didn't let them get involved anywhere from five, six, seven, eight. And at the same time, on the Texas side of things, they just kept running out bullpen arm after bullpen arm, depending on the hitter and the situation. So LSU hitters never really got comfortable seeing one guy for more than maybe two or three outs in that span. But in the sixth, LSU had runners on second and third with a very shaky left-handed pitcher on the mound for Texas, but they couldn't come through. I definitely thought he was going to give us a pass ball and gift us the run, but he gets Brady Neal to strike out. He finds his command at the very end and gets Neal on the punch out. And the seventh, once again, LSU's threatening. They had first and second with two outs. I know that's a tough situation, but a single could drive in a run, but Joe Bear case to end the inning. And really, the Texas hitters are doing absolutely nothing, nada, zero. 
as Ackenhausen is attacking the zone. And it was just fun to watch, you know, because he needed to keep Texas at bay. A lot of people haven't seen him pitch in an extended outing. So for him to get the ball and just to stay on the mound, I'm sure Jay and Wes Johnson felt very comfortable leaving him in there. And he kept dealing. He was very efficient. I'll get into some of his numbers later in the pod. Now in the eighth inning, things get a little dicey for LSU. Napoleon makes a fabulous diving catch on a bunt attempt in foul territory. But then with two outs, the next hitter lays down a bunt. He's left-handed, lays it down towards Trey Morgan. Morgan makes a decision. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Who knows if that ball goes fair or foul. It may look like it was going foul, but he makes a decision to pick it up. And then he kind of stumbles as he's turning towards first base. And he overthrows Gavin Dugas as Dugas is covering first from second. Therefore, the runner advances on the error to second base. And you're sitting here thinking, at least I am, all Texas needs is a bleeder, a blue pit, a seeing eye single to take the lead. And this thing could be a wrap, especially after how well Ackenhausen had been throwing up until then. But nope, Nasty Nate gets the Longhorns best hitter, Porter Brown, to pop up. Now, I disagree with the decision. I'll be completely honest. Man on second base, the two hole comes up and he's right handed, but he's hitting 172 on the year. Jay Johnson makes the decision to intentionally walk the two holes. So now you have first and second in the eighth. Two outs, though. Sets up a force. I understand that. Brings up Porter Brown, so it's lefty-lefty. I understand that. But I believe until that point, Porter Brown was 0 for 3. So as their best hitter, he's due at some point. And I just didn't want to see some bleeder over the third baseman's head. as him saying, I got my one hit for the night. But in the end, I was proven wrong. Ackenhausen did a great job. Jay Johnson pulled the right strings. Lefty, lefty, he gets him to pop up, and that was it for the Longhorns. So Nate goes three and a third innings pitched, one hit, one walk, four Ks, and get this. <laughs> this is crazy. He only threw 39 pitches, with 32 being strikes. So that's an 82% strike rate in three and thirds. I mean, are you kidding me? Efficiency, effectiveness. This guy pounded the zone and challenged those Longhorn hitters to hit him, and they couldn't. Right, left, it didn't matter. He was constantly ahead, flipping in sliders, bearing sliders when he was up with two strikes, blowing fastballs by guys, going above the hands, up in the zone to bury guys with fastballs as well. Kudos to you, Nate Ackenhausen. Truly impressive performance. Looking forward more to come this year out of the bullpen for that guy. So in the ninth, we've been talking about it on the pod a lot. Leadoff walks and their opportunity and propensity to come around and score. Well, Brady Neal, once again, this this decision surprised me. Facing a left-handed pitcher from Texas, I thought he may pinch hit. Kling was already in the game, so maybe he pinch hits. Um, I forget who the other righty on the bench was. Maybe Malazzo or Merrifield. Actually, he could have pinch hit Merrifield, but he sticks with the freshman, and Neal works a leadoff walk. So a great job by that young man facing the lefty from Texas. And then from there, once again, Thompson follows it up with a walk as well. Then you have first and second, nobody out. And you're like, this is it. we got to score right here. Who knows what's going to happen going into the bottom of the ninth. Texas is going to go nuts. We knew probably Ackenhausen was done after that. They bring in oh, um, Napolt, unfortunately, cannot get the bunt down against the lefty. And ultimately, he ends up 
striking out. So you're frustrated as a Tiger fan because once again, it doesn't seem like they can't, they cannot execute the bunt play. And then once again, lefty lefty. Maybe you think he brings in Merrifield to bunt those guys over. At least it's a righty facing a left-handed pitcher. I kind of disagreed with that as well, but in the end, he knows what he's doing. And maybe he thought he trusted Napolt at third base a little more than bringing in Merrifield cold and playing on that turf. Pitching change, first and second, one out. Texas gets rid of the lefty. They bring in a righty to face Dugas, and then Cruz is coming up after that. And Gavin Dugas, ladies and gentlemen, delivers a three-run monster home run to left center field to win the game for the LSU Tigers. Christian Little then comes on in the ninth to get his first save of the year, and he looked outstanding. Kind of following up on what Nasty Nate did, he attacked the zone. He was hitting 97 per the broadcast. The TV showed 93, but I'll trust those guys in the booth. And always he's always going to have that filthy slider to go along with his good fastball. And he goes one, two, three, and he wasn't messing around. He only threw two pitches in the ninth, eight for strikes. And that's what you want to see. If Little takes on that closer role, and I've loved the role he's played for LSU early in the year, that kind of shutdown role, he can go two innings, he can go three innings to finish off a game. But he came in, he had that mentality of, please try and hit me. Here it is, I'm coming right at you. And I loved his outing right there, especially getting the leadoff out in the ninth and then keeping those fans at bay, not letting them get rowdy and slam the door in front of the Longhorns' face. But the hero of the night, besides Nate, obviously, was Gavin Dugas, number eight, with that big swing. Look, he's had several injuries throughout his career, and he actually had an eye procedure in the spring. So just another setback that young man's had in his career. But to see him solidify his starting position at second base, when a lot of people thought it was going to be a revolving door, he's kind of taken that bull by the horns and inserted himself at second and in that leadoff spot. He's just done a great job. Hats off to him. A true program player being from Homa, I believe, and just an awesome accomplishment for that young man and something he'll remember for the rest of his life. So what are some of my takeaways from this midweek matchup with two heavyweights in the history of college baseball going head to head? So I'm going to call this game the good, the bad, and the ugly. First off, the good. In the end, you got the win on the road in a packed house in a hostile environment for your first true road test of the year. Gavin Dugas is part of that good crowd, of course. Clutch home run. He really saved a rough night for the LSU hitters. And as LSU loses that game, it does sting. There's no doubt about that. But as my guy, shout out to Eric Hammond on Twitter, said games like this potentially galvanizes this team down the road. And I agree. Look, when you're a college baseball player and you're on the road, you're hanging out with your boys, you're in the hotel, you're playing cards, you've been on the road for, uh, they actually got to Round Rock on Wednesday. So they've been on the road for a long time, just chilling with each other. A lot of camaraderie going on, a lot of banter. And a win like this on the road is just going to bring them closer together and hopefully something they can draw on later in the season. Also in the good, the defense. It felt like it kind of went by the wayside tonight, but if you look back to Hurd's outing in those first four innings. JT with that magnificent double play off the line drive. And then in another inning, uh, JT and Dugas hook up for a 6-4-3 double play. Napolt with the diving catch on the foul bunt. That was fabulous right in front of the LSU bench. That was a great play right there as well. So just flashing the leather. LSU continues to improve on the defensive side of things. And I don't think LSU 
fans have to hold their breath anymore when you see ground balls or wonder if they're going to be able to make this play. So kudos to those guys and all the hard work they put in in the offseason. Now the bad. It's not what you think it's going to be. But I got to give the bad over to my man, Nasty Nate, Nate Ackenhausen. He was a straight-up bad dude tonight on the bump. So good for him. Extended relief appearance. He cruised the Longhorn lineup for three-plus innings and is showing that he could probably be a mainstay in that bullpen, depending on what Cooper does. I even think Ackenhausen, if they needed him to, he could be a midweek starter as well. I've seen him stretch out. You just saw him go three and a third. He can easily get to four innings, something that you want for your midweek guys. But if Cooper does rotate back to the pen, Ackenhausen is going to take some of the load off his shoulders that Cooper had the, uh, had the burden of dealing with last year, being the only true lefty in the pen. So Ackenhausen has fastball and slider working to both right and left-handed hitters, as I mentioned. And he got out of really only the real trouble he faced after that Morgan era with a strikeout. So the bad, that bad man, Nate Ackenhausen, looking forward for more really nice outings from the JUCO transfer this year. Now the ugly. And I feel, if I'm being honest, it was the hitters. LSU had 16 strikeouts tonight. In their last four games, the Tigers have had 54 strikeouts. Yes, you heard that correct. Their last four games, 12 Ks, 15 Ks, 11 Ks. And then versus Texas, 16 punchouts for the LSU hitters. But they are still hitting above 300. Even after last night's game, they are hitting 304 as a team. I'm not a hitting coach, and I have no clue what Coach Johnson preaches and what their approach is in terms of the hitters when they step in the box. But it doesn't seem like a lot of guys are really changing their approach based on the situation or the count. And maybe that's just my observation, but maybe that's the plan. Don't change your approach. I don't know what they discuss in the hitters' meetings. But to me, if you're looking for long-term success and you're getting ready to get into SEC play, it's only three weeks away. This can't keep up if you expect to be very successful and end up where they want to be and where a lot of Tiger fans expect you to be at the end of the year, and that is Omaha. Now, I realize that there is a trade-off nowadays where LSU is going to hit a lot of home runs this year, but they're going to strike out a lot too. And at the moment, there was a lot of swing and miss in this lineup. Now, at times, that could be an issue. But when that thing clicks, when that lineup clicks, it is fun to watch. And we saw that. We saw that at Sam Houston where they pounded that team into submission. Those guys were waving the white flag at the end. But when it doesn't click, now hats off to LeBaron Johnson. He was filthy, okay? And Texas just a revolving door of bullpen arms, and that's tough on hitters to where they can't get a beat on these guys. And they may not have even had a scouting report on some of these guys being so early in the year. But when it's ugly, it looks like tonight, right? Eight innings, scoreless, 16 Ks. But there's got to be some type of a happy medium to where guys maybe change their approach, spread out, choke up with two strikes. Maybe that's the old school approach to me and me. But, um, you know, there's a few times they had Texas, on, not on the ropes, but they had a chance to execute or at least scratch one run across and they failed to execute. Whether that was getting a big hit, a big two-out hit, a big two-strike hit, laying down a bunt, or just trying to find a way to work a walk or extend the inning in some form or fashion. LSU was 4 of 31 on the night. With runners in scoring position, they were 2 out of 8, and 2 out of 15 with runners on base. 
I do have a feeling you may see some lineup changes this weekend. They have a weird four-game stretch, Central Connecticut State and Butler, so it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they play on Monday as well. This is a good chance for some of these young guys or for some of these older guys who haven't had a lot of ABs off the bench like Travinsky, Merrifield, Stevenson, Beloso. You get to see more of Gidry, I'm sure, Ethan Fry, uh, Mick Paul, Zeb Ruddle. I think that's pretty much everybody off the bench. But this is a chance for those guys to get some ABs and some extended game time. I don't think the competition is tough this weekend. I haven't really dug into those two teams a ton, but it's just going to be something to keep an eye on. And also, I'm not making an excuse to where I said that uh, Texas ran out some good arms because they did. But it is a big deal, I think, if they didn't have a scouting report. Listen, this isn't an April midweek game versus Texas to where they have a scouting report on eight of their top pitchers with extended innings, and they know all of their stuff. If you don't have a scouting report on that guy, their scouting reports when that guy comes in from the bullpen and throws his eight warm-up pitches, and that's it. You're like, oh, he's 88 to 90 with the curveball. But that's really all you know. So not an excuse, but just a, could be a fact in that situation. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if there is a change in approach, if there are more hitters that get to see uh, field time and playing time this weekend, and then how the hitters progress. Although I think this weekend LSU's hitters are going to go bananas. I think you're going to see several Sam Houston-esque type scores, 16-4, to four, and so on. Wrapping up here on the 60 feet, 60 feet, 6 inches LSU podcast. Look, a very wise coach once told me that in baseball, there's only four ways to play. You can play good and win. You can play good and lose. You can play bad and win. And you can play bad and lose. And I think this performance is somewhere in the middle of playing good and winning and playing bad and winning. And LSU comes back to Baton Rouge with a win whether you like it or not. You also have to look at the opponent as well and what they bring to the table in terms of their talent, their history. And this was a College World Series team last year. I know they lost a lot of starters from the hitting side of things, but still a lot of very good coaches on that side of the diamond. When it's all said and done, bottom line, Tiger fans, we're going to take the W. Anytime you can beat Texas, it's a win in any sport. I can't stand the Longhorns. Can't stand the eyes of Texas and all that hook em stuff. And LSU moves to 7-1 on the season. A fabulous moment for Gavin Dugas, one that he will never forget. And LSU comes back home after being on the road for a very long time with a win. So whether you think it was they played good and won, played bad and won, ultimately it was a really fun college baseball game to watch. And LSU came out on top. And in the end, that's really all that matters. So that's going to do it for the midweek game review of LSU versus Texas. Thank you all for tuning in. As a reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. Once again, that's at 60 FT, 6 IN LSU pod. Hit that notifications bell. So anytime I send out a tweet, it pops up on your timeline. The podcast is always available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. Next up, LSU welcomes in Butler Central Connecticut State to the box for Friday through Monday series, as we've discussed. Be on the lookout for the preview podcast for the upcoming weekend series. It's either going to drop Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.